0: Hello, everybody. and Welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. And I'm Nick Amaral. And thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is Ask the Tech Coach podcast, episode number 44. Today, we're talking all about standards-based learning and how you can support your school district using a learning management system today. We have a fantastic guest on from Schoology to talk all about a brand-new blog post that came out on the Schoology blog. But before we get to that, Nick, how are you today?
1: Doing good, Jeff. Uh, we're coming off of the, uh, the round table that we had uh, at our last meeting and had a powerhouse lineup. Uh, we had, who did we have? We had uh, the TechDub teacher himself, Chris Aviles. We had Ditch Textbook. Uh, Stitch That Textbook, Matt Miller and uh, Michael Cohen, and we talked all about uh, building your personal brand, which is good, Jeff, because it's been lining up with a lot of what um, all of our kind of our listeners and people in our tech Coach uh, mastermind have been talking about, which is, you know, what what sort of certification should they do? How do they build that brand? How do they build the website? Um, and so this was great information to get out to them.
0: It certainly was a power-packed lineup. If you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, go over to askthetechcoach.com. Look up episode number 43. And again, it was great to have Michael Cohen and, and you know, hearing the stories about how Ditch, that textbook, started from a, a, a little website into what it has become now and of course learning you know the difference really between creating a website creating a brand creating things we had a few people reach out to us and ask a few questions i thought it was kind of important here that people really figured out you know that this is an important topic right tech coaches talk a lot about technology they talk a lot about pedagogy they talk a lot about curriculum but it is really important for tech coaches that we learn how to build that brand for ourselves, whether it be a global brand, for instance, like like Matt Dunn on Ditch That Textbook, or really the brand that we bring into our buildings each and every day. These are all important topics.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you kind of need that because, you know, one of the pieces that they're always looking for with tech coaches is the ability to get out, to present at conferences and to stay on the cutting edge uh, and to bring that information back to the district. And like you said, Jeff, be consistent with what you're bringing to your teachers and facilitating in the classroom and how you how you present these workshops to teachers and all that culminates building that personal brand
0: you know speaking about workshops we have some great things happening over on our mastermind you can find out more information at teachercast.net slash mastermind we're going to be talking this month in april all about your brand all about building that brand. you know so many tech coaches right now are out there searching for gigs maybe a teacher wants to become a tech coach we've got a great program for you in april we're going to be talking all about tech coach resumes tech coach websites tech coach cover letters all these things that are going to help attract you to a school district and what you need to put on these documents if you're looking to create a great brand for yourself and looking to get some insights in how to become a tech coach check out our mastermind we've got some great plans two month six month and 12 month memberships teachercast.net slash mastermind today we've got some amazing applications for you guys and don't forget if you're going to invest in anything this school year why don't invest in yourself and Nick, of course, that brings us to this week's tech coach tip of the week. What is our
1: tech coach tip of the week? So our tech coach tip of the week is that there are several ways to get uh, to use your learning management system. And it's always best to keep student achievement at the forefront of your classroom decision. So keep asking yourself the question, what do you want your students to be able to do with the information that you are giving them?
0: And we want to welcome our guest today. She is from the fabulous learning management system called Schoology. I want to bring on Kelly. Kelly, how are you today? Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: It is so nice to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what's new these days at Schoology.
2: Uh, Well, um, I'm currently the uh, Senior Director of Instructional Strategy for Schoology. So What that means is, I work with districts all over the country that are in various stages of using Schoology. They maybe are just coming on board, or maybe they've been with us for a while. And so I kind of work in a consultant role. But before I joined there, um, I spent 25 years in public education all in the state of Colorado. So I'm coming to you sort of live from Denver. Uh, I spent the first half of that career as a high school English teacher at Denver Public Schools. And then, as you were just talking about, decided to pursue. A different path uh, with technology. So I got my master's in instructional technology and became a building technology coordinator. We had an awful title uh, that was student achievement specialist, and I, I kept saying like, isn't everyone a student achievement specialist? <laughs> it really was a very nebulous title. Uh, and then after that, moved into a district level position uh, where I oversaw district technology initiatives in a district about fifty-five thousand uh, students. So I oversaw the Chromebook rollout and the Google Apps Education, and then uh, also the role out of Schoology so that's why I'm here today
0: and we are so excited to have you we have been working with Schoology for the oh my goodness for the last seven or at least eight years I remember meeting our good friends in Schoology for the first time at ISTE probably 2012 back when Schoology was just getting started off and now you guys have an amazing platform that I have to say is teacher centered, teacher focused, and all geared to helping students out. You guys just, uh, what's the right word, graduated or or created another um, cohort of ambassadors. Talk to us a little bit about Schoology and how it works with the teachers and tell us a little bit about that amazing ambassador program that you guys have.
2: I think one of the things that sets Schoology apart, at least in my perspective, is it really is a company that listens to teachers and is. I think, very ears to the ground. And if you ever go to a conference and stop by the booth uh, all around the nation, you'll, I think it'll strike you how much they want to listen. In fact, our product team was at FETC and at TCA just asking for people's feedback on different aspects of the platform. Uh, but one of the things that we do have in Schoology is multiple what we call like uh, advocacy programs, the ambassadors being one of them. And actually, I'm, I'm honored, obviously, to be joining Nick, who is a fellow ambassador. Mm-hmm. I was part of the first group of those. I was part of the beta team of ambassadors back in, uh, must have been 2015, maybe. And um, it's basically a group that gets together and really, it's a community that supports each other. We go to conferences, we present, we uh, advocate for Schoology in social media and in events like this. It's a really amazing group of people. And it's... It's a group of people that really I think embodies what a really good p l n is uh it's and uh, you know and Nick can chime in there as well, but i there's people that I met as an ambassador that I still am in contact with, even though I've not been part of that group officially now for a couple of years. Well, Nick, let's talk
0: a little bit about that because you know as a schoology ambassador, you are a part of this amazing professional learning network. What is being a schoology ambassador meant to you? It's
1: the connections you make, and I think Kelly kind of you know hit on that it, it's just the close knit the the familyness that you have there the ability to you're all kind of have this same niche that you're all involved you know in using schoology at your district and what's kind of neat is you get the uh, viewpoints of so many different people you're getting people who are tech coaches and supervisors and building principals and regular teachers you know in the classroom from all different subjects who are using you know schoology so it's kind of neat to see that um, and to share ideas. And that's some, one of the biggest things I take away is that, you know, you become such a close knit family that it's just the ideas of how everyone's using it and manipulating Schoology in a way to, to do the things they want. And, and what everyone's doing is pretty amazing at all different levels. Um, and then getting back to the student, you know, it's all kind of just geared toward the personalized student. And then I, you know, for me, using that to personalize PD for teachers has just been uh, absolutely powerful. So, um, you know, it's just a great group to, to get a lot out of. Well, let me
0: throw this question back at you, Nick, because we talk about this a lot on the show here. What does being a Schoology ambassador mean to your teachers, to your school district, to have somebody who, I don't know if it's the right way of saying is on the inside, but, you know, if you're a school district and you're using Schoology, it's good to have somebody who's kind of on the inside. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right so my teachers do think i am on the inside and anytime there is uh, it's whatever issue that could possibly pop up it's go to nick because he's going to be able to get the answer from someone i go well it doesn't generally work that way but i you know what? there is the power of the group that way and that's the fact that i can then on twitter put out this message that says hey anyone come across this or hey there was this glitch or hey this teacher's trying to do this and and, and i can't figure it out and I'm telling you, within seconds, minutes, you have a response from someone. Hey, let me ask, let me see, yes or no, and they walk you through it. So that has been great. But but the approach has been yes. You know, I I like to think that one of the reasons I ended up getting this job and this role, and I moved from being a high school English teacher as well um, into this uh, coordinator professional of staff development, and and I think part of that was because it was a district that. Decided they wanted to go full-fledged with Schoology, and it was something I was using in the English classroom and using it to gamify and personalize learning. And so I think they found like, wow, here's someone who now has done a lot of these things that we want to do. Let's bring him in. And just the fact that I am a Schoology ambassador, sort of that certification to say, okay, he's got the nod that he can really work with our teachers to train them uh, on the various aspects of of, uh, Schoology you know
0: we like being able to bring you these types of shows and of course it's the feedback from you guys that makes the difference here in this show that's why we call it ask the tech coach if you have any questions for our friends over here at schoology or for any of these great topics you can of course find us over on askthetechcoach.com reach out to us on twitter at Coach. email us over at feedback at teachercast.net and of course you can leave us a voicemail over at teachercast.net slash voicemail we'd love to hear from you we'd love to answer your questions and have you guys be a part of our show we of course drop this show on itunes and all of your favorite podcasting apps every single monday at 6 a.m so kelly without further ado let's kind of get into this today we're talking all about five ways to approach a standards-based mindset this is of course um all about a great blog post that you recently published on the schoology blog that's schoology.com slash blog now before we get into some of these ways here um we have a question for you. What is a standards-based mindset? What is standards-based learning all about?
2: Well, it's certainly nothing new. Uh, I think that those of us have in education a while have heard the term kind of tossed around. It's really an approach. And you know, we talked earlier, or Nick did, about you know, putting students at the center. I think it's acknowledging that student learning happens on levels of proficiency against standards versus holistic numbers or grades that may um, you know kind of hide what really is happening with student learning. And I think that standards-based uh, approaches or standards-based mindsets are really about figuring out what is, what is most important for students to really know, understand and be able to do and then show them exactly how they're achieving against those very discrete criteria in a way that makes sense to them, so that they can actually set goals for themselves and start to own some of that learning on their own. So that's a long-winded answer, but <laughs> English teacher. So. <laughs> so,
1: so Kelly, I like so I like to think right, like when we start talking about standards-based learning and and, and the mindset and how it's built off of objectives I I want to ask how is that for a teacher that then is thinking okay well I write the objective or I note the standards for a lesson plan uh, you know in my lessons or or on the board how is this approach different right because this takes knowing that you're hitting a standard objective is brought back to the student right so so how could you what would you say to a teacher then that like okay I have the objective I know the standard but what's the next step for them like what is that piece what what does standards-based mindset bring them
2: well, I think one of the things it brings is an acknowledgement that it's a shared set of data between you and the student and ultimately, obviously, the parent as well. I mean, I think they're partners and whatever we're doing. But when you think about aligning something or listing a standard on the board, and I don't know about your students, but mine, that really didn't mean much to them. You know, even if I said, here's the objective of the day that didn't really tell them how they were doing on that particular standard. So I think part of what standards-based mindsets is making sure that when you do have a learning objective that you've identified that you are then also scoring work against that learning objective and telling a student how here's how you're doing against that. Not that you got not that you got an 80% on this quiz, but you really struggled with these three objectives that we're really trying to cover and so how can we how can we move forward with that? So I think that you, just like anything else, and you mentioned this earlier, Jeff, I think was the the why of like, why are we doing what we're doing? Or maybe maybe it was you, Nick, and if it was you, I'm sorry. Um, okay. I think that it's the same kind of a question you should ask when you're actually assessing something. Like, why am I grading this exactly? Like, what information am I trying to get out of it? And what information does a student really need to have? And once you start thinking about that why, it should really guide you into the ways that you're gonna actually approach Giving the students some feedback on those standards.
1: Yeah, and I and I think that's a great, you know, great, great response because I I think of how my teachers ask these questions and you know I oh I want to acknowledge standards and things and objectives and that's great, but what you're saying is so much more powerful it's that's great to acknowledge that you want to hit that standard and that objective but when is it actually brought back to the student and how are we assessing that the student each individual student is able to track their progress with that standard and that objective along you know the lesson or the units or or throughout the year and and i think that way for them to just gather the feedback consistently and, and assess where they are and know. I mean, they could eventually, what, assess themselves, right? I think it just becomes right. such a powerful approach.
0: Yeah. So let's take a look at um, five ways to approach this, right? Because many teachers are looking at this saying, okay, how do I get started? What do I do? Kelly, what's the first thing that we need to be thinking about when creating this standards-based mindset?
2: Well, have you ever seen the Seinfeld episode where George Costanza realizes that every decision he's ever made is wrong. <laughs> it's a good in analogy. some ways, well, it's, in some ways it's almost like whatever grading system you had growing up is probably what you're comfortable with. Like the way you learned and the way that you were graded and assessed is probably almost exactly counter to the way that the standards-based mindset works. So it's, it's almost like doing the opposite of what you would normally do. So, you know, when we think about the the kind of the basis for standards-based mindsets or standards-based learning, it's getting away from the idea that, that student proficiency is based on a 100% scale. So you, you have to start with not just the standard as Nick mentioned, but thinking about what, what do levels of proficiency look like within that standard? And I think that's that's an area that um, is, is really a shift because we you know, we've we've had rubrics for a long time. And I think it's extending that idea of a rubric into a much larger picture. And I, so I think it starts with, you know, identifying which standards you're addressing and then really being clear with students, what, what does it mean to be at a certain level uh, with that standard? So that would be the beginning I'd say.
0: And is that something that you teach? Is that something that you set up at the beginning of the year and then let run? Um, how, how do you begin to talk about that with your students? I mean, if you've got a test coming up, do you show the rubric and show these different things, or what does that look like in the classroom?
2: Yeah, I think it should always be transparent. I mean, the whole point of this is having a student-centered approach and letting them know where they are with their learning. So I think you know, it's yes, it's it's sharing the rubric. If it, it, even with a with a project or anything that you're assessing what exactly does an example look like that is ideal? So it's not just, I think, sharing the rubric, but also providing exemplars or, you know, here's a sample of what a really good thing might look like. This is what you're going for. Uh, Because I think the clearer we can be with students about where they're headed uh, with examples, the more it will make sense to them. And even having examples of like, you know, I would even say it would be good to have kids walk through their own Know process with the rubric and say, What would you give this particular paragraph? Let's say, since Nick and I both taught English, um, what would you give this particular paragraph? And let's talk about, you know, what does it mean to have a quote unquote two on this versus a three? What differentiates those? And have to really think about it. Uh, One activity that that I did, and I taught sophomores, um, and sophomore boys were always hungry, so food was a very good tool for me. So I brought in donuts, and they had to come up with a rubric for the perfect donut and score donuts. Um, but it helped them kind of figure out like what does it mean to really think about different qualities of something um, instead of it's just a good donut.
1: And it's Kelly, fun. I just wanna say, oh, sorry, Jeff. No, I was gonna say, go ahead. She, I, the English teacher me has to comment on the fact that she used donuts and I use Oreo cookies and we did the Oreo <laughs> cookie essay. So I just wanna yeah. say the approach was was exactly the same. <laughs>
2: yes, some things are, are universal truths. That's it. Yeah.
0: I got to ask, okay, you, you're, you're setting me up. Nick, how would you make a rubric for an Oreo
1: cookie? <laughs> so, Jeff, the whole idea was to assess and evaluate their writing of the essay. And I always told them, you know, you had to pull apart, the whole goal was they had to pull apart an Oreo cookie, they had to write an essay about that. Uh, persuaded people why Oreo cookies were the best cookies. And then we had to look at the Oreo cookie in the context of the essay. The two halves, the opening and the close, had to reflect each other. The fluff was all the good stuff in the center, and that was the bulk of the writing, and and we assessed and evaluated the three pieces.
2: (laughs) I like that so much more than the hamburger. Like, we did the hamburger for a long time. Oreo's way better. Yes, way better.
0: (laughs) That's why he is an ambassador, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Of Oreos as well as Schoology, as
0: it turns out. All right. So we're talking about getting proficient with the standards. We're talking showing examples, giving them clear goals, helping them achieve it, Um, talking to your students through the rubric, bringing up food in any way possible. (laughs) Tell me, what's the second way that we can approach this here? Um, You you know, you you bring up just understanding the power that a rubric can be with students. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think the rubric part of it is for some teachers extremely comfortable. So if you've taught English or you've taught you know a humanity or or art or something, you know the idea of of judging something on on multiple qualities isn't foreign. I think that in other spaces it may be a little bit more challenging. And I think that's where you know the power of today is that you can look, you know, and I'm not saying these are good examples, but you know you can find really good examples of rubrics. Um, for projects on the Buck Institute website. And so, if you need to get started and trying to find a rubric and maybe it's not something you're comfortable with, there's plenty of examples that are out there. I think the most important thing, though, is to, again, think about what standards you're addressing uh, and then try to figure out, in student-friendly language, what, does the, what do those different levels look like so that it makes sense to them? You know, a lot of times we'll see rubrics that are in a lot of teacher speak or they're in language that Is it super revealing to the student at all? So I would say even having students collaborate with you on that rubric, help guide them through that process so that they have a little bit of ownership on exactly what they're being assessed against.
0: I I totally see that. Right? You see a lot of teachers that have a rubric for their assignment and at the end of the project, the kids just get a score. And there isn't that connection between, oh, this is a bad idea or this is a good idea. I'm actually achieving the three out of five because my project only looks like this. I love the idea of creating things with your teachers. Now, Nick, how are you using an Oreo and a rubric? Are you ha- are you actually going to be having your kids make the Oreo with you? It's, what's the analogy here, Nick?
1: <laughs> that, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't take it to that next level, but but that's good. I, I like that approach, Jeff. You, you I'm didn't take to it that
0: to that on the my next course. level? Nick, So, so Kelly, wh- where on the rubric would Nick fit right now? He 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 did the Oreo, but he didn't take his students through the process. Would he be high on the rubric or, or low on your rubric?
2: Yeah, I think it depends on what standard we're addressing. Jeff, yeah, I think we need to think about <laughs> what's our priority standard for the uh, for the Oreo and for for what Nick's trying to do with the Oreo.
0: Nick, you need to be coming up with a pretty clever uh, animated graphic for this one here. I'm looking forward to seeing what the blog post is gonna look like here all right so we're we're definitely looking at having the students be a part of this process right? actually know what's going on why is going on maybe ask them to create some of the rules as you go along now, the next thing you mentioned is something called the zero factor is <laughs> yeah what what is that is that? because Nick now has zero Oreos? Where, where are we with this?
2: No, there's actually multiple things uh, about, about the zero. I think that you know one of the things to think about, and this is really true for standards-based grading as well, or I'm sorry, formative assessments as well. If a student is doing something that's really to inform how they're doing, we shouldn't necessarily penalize them for that. So, so let's say, for example, you have students writing a draft, and let's say you give them a rubric score, that doesn't mean it has to go in the grade book. Uh, and I think that that's another kind of shift is, you, we need to avoid giving zeros uh, because zeros are devastating, especially in a, if, you're, if you are using a traditional grade book, uh, that can actually destroy a, a student's grade. And if you think about the 100 point scale, we have you know, 10 percentage points that recognize excellence and 59 percentage points that recognize not excellence. I mean that's that's a that's a big disparity. So when I talk about the zero factor, it's you know how can we give kids feedback without having that be a penalty um, against their grade, you know, so to speak? Let's let's let it be a reflection of learning um, and not something that ends up being punitive.
1: And I think that that's a great approach. You know, it always reminds me of the idea that. You know, we're so accustomed as teachers and educators, uh, and it's a product of, of the culture of, of teaching and students become used to it, right? Like you do an assignment and get a grade and we mark minus 30, but how much better would it be to write plus 70, right? Like, and then you still have 30% to go to achieve that full um, idea of, of mastery. And I think the standards-based mindset and, and, and um, growth is that idea, well, they're still learning that has to happen and you haven't achieved a hundred percent yet. So what's the next level for them to progress? And I, and I love that idea.
0: So let's say that Nick has just two cookies. Would he have <laughs> plus 50 because now we're looking for that, that nice creamy center in the middle or, or, <laughs> Would, would Nick's <laughs> would Nick's Oreo be half full or half empty here? Well,
2: that so, that yeah. actually brings up a, an interesting point about, and you know, we talked about you know rubrics and proficiency scores uh, earlier. You know, typically with a standards based mindset, you you very rarely see that represented in the way we typically see grades, which is you know that that percentage or or something out of hundred. It's often something that's just out of one to four. And if you think about it, like think how different it is to explain to a student, this is a 93, not a 91. Like the gradations of trying to explain like the nuances of a hundred points is, is crazy. So when you have like a one to four scale, it's, it really simplifies it. And I think one of the things that also does is it gets kids away from thinking about that as the hundred, especially in secondary, I would say, because I think we see a lot of standards-based approaches in elementary. But at secondary, they, they're looking for the percentage. Like, what's the grade? Well, if it's just on a, you know, an in in even better, not a one to four scale, but a language scale, like nailed it almost and not yet. Um, you know, separating the number and making it more about where they are in that achievement scale.
0: We're talking today to Kelly all about the ways that we can bring in a standards-based mindset we're going to take a quick break and we've got two more things that teachers can be having on their mind as we create this and when we come back we'll also talk to nick about how he can improve his oreo cookie recipe (laughs) we'll be right back (laughs) friends before we move on with our show i wanted to let you guys know i have been in education now for almost 20 years. And I've seen the changes some students have come to face every single day, whether it's going through school hungry, not being able to see a doctor when they're sick or not getting the proper rest at night. These challenges make it hard for kids to focus on. On their learning. I remember a story of a student who came to my office one day and she could barely stay awake due to all the circumstances happening around her at home that were beyond her control. I didn't know what I could do and I wanted to be able to help her out in any way that I could. Thankfully, Concordia University in Portland is leading the way with their 3 to PhD program that helps to combat students' fears freeing them to pursue their highest dreams. They're revolutionizing education by creating a holistic model that provides groceries, healthcare, and even clothing to students right here on campus, helping them thrive and helping our communities strengthen and grow. Concordia's College of Education offers online and on-campus programs where students have the opportunity to learn about a more compassionate approach to education and see how nurturing the whole student can lead to amazing things. To learn more about how you can help students conquer their monsters and achieve their highest dreams, visit cu-portland.edu forward slash let's conquer. That's cu-portland.edu forward slash let's conquer. And use the hashtag nature, educate, grow. And we are back. This is teacher... And we are back. This is Ask the Tech Coach Podcast, episode number 44. And Nick, before we took a break, we were talking all about the different things that we can do. And I love here that Kelly brought up the concept of, you know, keep things simple, having a scale of one to four instead of a scale of one to 100. Because, you know, I remember my days as an orchestra teacher, a kid comes in and plays the violin. It is difficult. As Kelly said, to figure out is that a 91, is that a 93, is that a ni- and and what are the differences between all of those things? It is so much easier to create a one to four grading scale. Nick, I would assume that this is no different in an elementary classroom than in, than in a middle school classroom, and really any teacher of any subject can use this kind of a rubric.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean she she nailed it saying, you know, obviously as English teachers for both of us, we think of writing and I and I always used to think of how subjective Writing was, you know, and especially creative writing, because I'm like, who am I to kind of say that that's not or that is? I can gear you, I can guide you in ways of things you can do. But I mean, there are some great authors out there that don't write with punctuation. I mean, how do I grade a student that way, right? If they tell me that they're trying to be creative. So I think of that. I think of the art classroom and how creativity uh, is hard to put 100% or a point value on certain things. Um, so this is a way to say, okay, what's the objective? Have they mastered that part of the rubric, and then can they move on to sort of the next level, the next piece? Or what do they just need to work on? Where Where is that one area that they, they struggle in? And I think what it ends up doing, Jeff, in the end is, especially when you see a student, a student who achieves, you know, 90s or 85s, 90s, 95s on different assignments, thinks they're okay. But when you see this in the standards, you know, based rubric of one through four, they may have... A two here that says, OK, they're right at OK, but they haven't advanced enough. Now that student who thinks that, oh, well, my 85-90 is always great. No, it actually, look, there's an area where you're weak and there is something you need to work on. And it breaks it down for them as, as you know, what can they do better?
0: You know, as a tech coach, we get a chance to work with students of all grade levels and abilities. And I'm always going to go back to my days as the orchestra teacher. And, you know, sometimes the the, the student just needs one more attempt at something, right? One more opportunity. But it's so easy to not have the student be given that opportunity because in today's society, teachers are on a deadline. They got test to code, they, They've got chapters to hit. And a lot of times the teacher just says, look, do it and we're done. We got to move on. Kelly, I'm so glad we're going to talk about this next one here. You mentioned try more tries. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, it kind of goes back to the earlier analogy I made of like do the opposite of what, you know, what, what would have happened to you as a student maybe. Because uh, I think that a lot of us had only the one try to do something. The, you have the final exam, or you have the essay, or, or you have the quiz. Uh, and I think you know, part of the standards-based mindset is actually reflected as part of a growth mindset. Like, what we want to see is we want to see students grow. And I think one of the challenges is that the grading systems that have permeated education for a long time are about ranking students, But that's not really what our goal is anymore. Our goal isn't to figure out who is the weakest of the student class in terms of like, you know, class rank for colleges. Like our goal is let's get all of them learning and progressing. And sometimes it takes kids more tries to prove what they know. But really what a grade should reflect, if if something is counted for a grade, it should reflect what the students are able to do after they have been given supports, after they've been given chances to prove that. And I think all of us have had the bad test day and think about how terrible it is to have everything writing on one attempt.
0: But does that have anything to do... Let me rephrase that question here. I want to make sure I get these words right. Does that have to do with the student's attempt at a project or does that have to do with the teacher's way of providing feedback? You're both English teachers. I give you a paper, you turn it in, you give me a C and it's got (laughs) writing all over it. I take that writing, I redo my paper with your writing, give it back to you. Mm -hmm. I'm not learning anything at that point. I'm just taking your suggestions and vomiting it back to you. Where does that try, right? Is it, again, is it feedback? Is it the kid? Because we could play that game all the time, right? Turn it in, you correct it, I turn it in, you correct it, I turn it in, you correct it. Where Mm -hmm. do we go from here?
1: So for you know, for me, I think that the feedback is going to be a big piece of it. But um, I, I don't know. I always felt as a teacher too, the lengthier, the more feedback I had on that paper, I just felt that they f- there was a connection to the student. That for them, that they felt okay if he's taking the time to write all this out, there are things to look at. That I don't think it has to be as nuanced as every comment that. I make to that student means just go back and rewrite that, you know, fix that sentence or put that word in. I think what ultimately it should end up being is, okay, let's go to that part where it's weak. I said you needed to work on body paragraphs or thesis statements because that's your weak area. Let's go back and look at the lessons and materials that we had on writing those thesis statements. And then the student goes back and they rewrites it. Or better yet, how about that essay stays? However, the next time the kid writes an essay, you go, okay, in this essay for you, intros are the focus with the focus on thesis statements. Write the new essay. Now we're not reading Of Mice and Men, we're, we're reading The Lord of the Flies. Great, write your new essay. And then what you do to the student is you have them go back to the previous essay. Okay, now you nailed it or you got something better on this essay. I want you to bring back Of Mice and Men, rewrite the intro to that. And I think just that idea of try more tries ends up being, well, they've got they got the try now to go back twice on of mice and men even when they thought they were done because they were on lord of the flies i think that sort of approach and mindset is it it's just it's never done
0: so you're grading the student based on the concept not the content
2: yeah skill or the, it's one the yeah. standard one might be standard <laughs> right yep. yep it might be standards based <laughs> and we come we come full circle
0: look at that so <laughs> in review here we start with the Orient, no kidding. We, we start with getting proficient at the standards. We talk about the, realizing the power of rubrics. We talk about the fear, or we talk about the factor of the zero factor here, giving the students more tries. Kelly, what's the fifth and, and, and probably one of the, the easiest things here that we can be thinking about when changing our mindset here to standards based?
2: I think the easiest thing is actually giving students a view into how they're doing. So we talked earlier about how important it is that students have some visibility into how they're performing against those standards, and I think that's where, especially as technology uh, specialists or coaches or coordinators, that that that's really where our specialty is, because that happens so much more easily now with technology than it ever did before. Then you know, I'm I'm of a certain age where I remember having to handwrite in. Um, tallying scores uh, because we just, you know, that was before Excel. It was. I mean, I honestly had a 10-key calculator my first year teaching um, to tally up grades. If you think about it now, we have ways of giving students immediate feedback, and a lot of systems have that, you know, student dashboards or ways to view how they're doing. And I think that we've moved beyond the student checking the portal for their grade. That isn't, that isn't really helping them figure out where their weaknesses are, as Nick said. What does an 80 mean? Obviously, you were successful at some things, not at others. What are those? Well, let's get in a way to do that. So that's where something like a, a learning management system comes in or, you know, another. You could actually probably do this in Google Sheets. You know, if you want to have kids tracking their own, like there's many ways to do this, but it has to be something that they can understand and that they have access to. Nick, what do
1: you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree, and I think one of the biggest things for me was, and this this is what I tried to do in, in my high school English class, um, you know. I had this epiphany just this morning thinking about this for our our podcast was thinking about how Schoology, uh, using Schoology, I use it, you know, in PD terms, Jeff, and I'm just kind of thinking about this. We're talking about uh, students right now, but we're working with teachers and our tech coaches are working with teachers. So how can we apply that standards based mindset to teachers? And my thought was how simple of a concept for a tech coach to pull the ISTE standards for teachers mm. and go through the coaching process of teachers and, and modules that you've created or workshops and move teachers along that rubric that's tied to the ISTE standards. I thought, what, what an interesting way to then apply standards-based mindset to teachers. I
0: don't know if there's any SEO value in this, but I think we're going to do a blog post, Nick, called How the ISTE Standards <laughs> Are Like an Oreo Cookie.
1: <laughs> I like it. It's catchy.
0: Coming soon. We, we both have spring break coming up. So there's, there's plenty of time for all of this stuff. Kelly, first of all, you know, we're going to put all the links to the blog posts and, and everything over on Schoology here. This is Ask the Tech Coach podcast, episode number 44. And, you know, Nick and I talk about learning management systems a lot. We've even created an entire online course for tech coaches on how to use a learning management system to give that great professional development. Talk to us a little bit about Schoology. What makes it so special and what makes Schoology stand out amongst all other learning management systems?
2: I think, you know, one of the things is that it's focused really specifically on K-12. It started in K-12, and that's it's, that's basically what people there wake up every day worried about is what's happening in K-12. And a lot of, of other systems out there were really designed for higher ed, and that has its place, absolutely, but just a different context. And so there are different needs and different things that are happening at higher ed. So they've been retrofitted for K-12. I think Schoology is really targeting a certain, you know, if you think about what we have to do, we have to have something that can scale from a kid who's four or five to a kid who's 18. You know, that's a that's a huge range. And so Schoology, I think, is very focused on making sure that it's a system that accommodates all those different needs. I think the other thing, and I think Nick can attest to this as well, is it's just so easy to use. I mean, mm. when we rolled it out, I um, we were transitioning from another learning management system, and I really thought nobody would use it. I mean, it wasn't mandated. We sort of switched, and I was like, "Well, we'll turn it on and we'll see what happens." You know, you know, nice, you know, measured rollout, and it just it was it blew us away that people use it so quickly and so readily because it was easy. That you know, we have a lot of teachers. I think that. Are, are fearful about technology. They have some anxiety about not being techie enough. And it's so easy to navigate that, that those folks felt comfortable almost right off the bat. And those who are already techie could run with it and start doing embed code and start doing all kinds of cool things. So I think it, it also scales for, you know, different levels of comfort for, for teachers.
0: So, Kelly, with everything coming up, um, is there anything that you can tell us a little bit about what's, what's going on these days at Schoology? And, uh, you know, what are some of the things that you're seeing teachers do with Schoology that's really blowing you away these days?
2: Oh, so many things. Um, I, I think when you're asking about, like, things that are coming out with Schoology, one of the reasons that we did the blog post on sanders based mindset is that Schoology is releasing a, a new view inside the platform that gives a very clear picture of what mastery might look like against those standards. And I don't know if if you've ever heard of uh, adaptive leadership. It's a book that we read as a book study in my previous district here in Colorado. But it talks about how there are adaptive challenges and there are technical ones. And the technical ones are quick fixes and they are things that you can demand by edict, like we're all switching email, okay? We're switching from, we switched from first class to outlook. That's a technical fix. The adaptive challenge is the one that really takes a mindset shift. And so while we can provide or Schoology can provide the technical interface to make these things happen, the pedagogy behind that and the, the thinking that has to go into what is a standard really representing here and how does a student really view that and, and how am I grading things in a way that really reveals the student where they are against those standards, that's an adaptive challenge. Um, so while Schoology is super excited about releasing uh, they're calling this a, a new standards-based gradebook. They're also cognizant of the fact that there's there's some conversation that have to happen at district and classroom levels about grading practices. Um, so I think I think that's that's a big one. Another one that's coming down that is something that's being developed right now is uh, what's pretty uh, I think it, amazing is a student choice activity, where you know you have a student who actually maybe has a choice of how to show their learning in five different ways, they get to choose that. And you can do that now, but you end up having like five grades in the grade book and some kids have a grade and some don't. It just, you know, it's messy and it, it just doesn't really help the teacher or the student figure things out well. So they're designing a new way to do uh, student choice activities. And I think their big shift right now is on personalized and student-centered learning and they're developing a ton around those very key features. Um, so I, I would say that's that's in an the media, and that's really like for back to school. So we're we're talking about imminent release for that. In terms of stuff that teachers doing, that that blow me away. I think you could look at things that people do on a daily basis. I saw really great. Uh, do you know Liz Leweski? Nick, I do. Yeah, she's one of the ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Liz did a did a presentation at Connect PA on how she was uh, using uh, Schoology with. Uh, second graders like with primary students. And it, it like she so impressed our, our exec uh, vice president of marketing. He had her present to the company. So at our last company meeting, Liz was a guest speaker and she went through and talked about kinds of you know the things that she was doing and, and I think one of the things that I'm always amazed by is the the platform's the platform, but the people that use it are thinking so deeply about how they can help students and um it's, you know, it's humbling. It's humbling to see that every day.
0: The website, of course, is Schoology.com. You can, of course, check out everything that's over there. Kelly, where do we find you guys on your social channels and be a part of the Schoology community?
2: Schoology is super active on social, and Bridget Heaton, who actually helps run the Ambassadors, would be extremely upset if I didn't mention our social channels. It's at Schoology, and that's probably the best place, and that's where you often also see people sharing things that they're doing. But you can also see things on the public roadmap, that's part of the Schoology support area, schoology.com support, if you're curious what's coming down the pike. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, ask an ambassador. Uh, there's their, they are out there and they uh, have their own hashtag, uh, Schoology um, So if you want to see what their conversations are, you can find them on Twitter.
0: Excellent. Nick, you know, we've got a couple of great shows coming up just like this one's here. But uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the conversations and the, and the podcast topics we have coming up in
1: the next few weeks. Yeah. So this uh, is a great segue into our next episodes, which we've getting a lot of traction, uh, Jeff. Uh, what we've been noticing in the mastermind and outside just from people reaching out. Um, about using an LMS like Schoology to design online professional development for teachers. So one of the big uh, things, topics we're gonna cover is how to design online learning courses and modules. Uh, And the other thing we're gonna talk about is again, kind of going with the branding is going to be creating uh, your tech coach resume. And Nick, of course, we want to say thank you to everybody out there who's made
0: Ask the Tech Coach part of their professional development network. We, of course, drop this every single Monday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern. We would love to have you guys be a part of our PD by sharing this podcast with your professional learning network. We would love to have you here. So on behalf of Nick and everybody here on the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury. And I'm Nick Admiral. Reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.